I would say that I would not be my full self without the internet. The internet just simply becomes part of our daily perception of the world. It changes our relationships to friends, to ideas of love, to politics, everything. I think you're obliged as someone who's engaging with your times to incorporate these changing aspects of society and technology into art. Art operating in the context of, of people's social media for sure has expanded what it could be in the public imagination. The internet definitely gives people more control rather than being subjected to the control of a gallery or a corporation. The art world is famous for being almost like impenetrable. The people are obnoxious. There's a very kind of exclusionary, almost snobbish mindset. And somehow all of that breaks down over the internet. You're coming with Mr. Kenny? My name is Kenny Schachter, and I am involved in the art world in many different capacities. I make art, I write about it, I curate it, I teach it, and I buy and sell it for a living. When I first started curating exhibitions in 1990, literally you would have a bunch of hapless people sitting around drinking warm beer. The audience was tiny. So if you wanted to communicate what you were doing visually, you would have to take a sheet of photographic slides or transparencies and send them via snail mail. And that was the only way as an artist or as an art dealer you were able to convey information was through this almost like prehistoric method of holding up a slide to the sun or to a light to get a glimpse of what somebody was doing artistically. Some artist at the beginning of his career back in the 90s sent me a long-winded letter asking me for advice, and I simply wrote back, move to New York. But there's been more growth in the past 25 years than in the previous 500 years. There's been like one revolution and paradigm change after another. And today it's just mushroomed for many different reasons. And chief among them is the smartphone and the internet, which has helped democratize and disseminate art in a much more non-hierarchical manner. The internet has just become the crucial and most significant way to communicate what it is that you're doing. So you could be writing a book or you could be making a digital piece of work, but you can sit on your couch no matter where you are and you can have your work seen by some of the most extraordinary people in the world. I don't know what I would be without the internet, and honestly, I don't really want to think about it. My name is Nicole Ruggiero. I live in Brooklyn, New York, and I consider myself a net artist. To me, the way I define it is anyone who makes art about the internet or whose art is primarily distributed online for an internet audience. My art is very colorful, and I'm typically influenced by internet subcultures, which I think developed directly out of cyberpunk culture of like the 80s and 90s. A lot of my work is very personal, like the things that you see on Instagram are personal pieces, but my exhibition pieces, these are based on more of a holistic experience of what the internet is like for many people.
before last year, so 2017, uh, I produced a VR experience called No Escape. You're in this virtual bedroom. No Escape focuses on being inundated with social technology, not being able to disconnect that kind of struggle that we're facing. It gets like more and more chaotic. And then eventually you're transported to this nature environment. But then right before the scene ends, you hear one last text message and everything goes black. For me, the internet was a really big thing. I did not have an easy childhood. Both of my parents struggled with drugs. My mom wasn't around at all from when I was seven till when I was 17. And, you know, I, I grew up as an only child too, so didn't really have anyone my age around me. Thankfully, I had the internet and I used it to communicate with people, to communicate things that I had almost no understanding of, but I knew really affected me. And I used the internet and art as sort of an escapism and as a way to express my emotions. I think that I probably taught myself the majority of everything I know. And I think I was probably like 23. I went through breakup and I had a ton of time. And I was like, man, like now it's time for me to learn 3D. I think 3D as a medium, the way you see it online and on social media is more self-taught. You know, a new, a new wave is now coming out of this field where you can really do a lot of these things yourself. Start with Adobe products, get into Photoshop, get into Some people use Maya and some people uh, use Nuke. And um, for me, I light, I texture and I animate. And then you can get into the 3D stuff. Um, I personally use Cinema 4D. I think patience uh, is really important. Yeah. As far as simulating water, I use Houdini Substance and I intern designer also works, but they're more complicated. It's more of a generalist standpoint, but it really lends itself to the internet as a medium. Getting involved in this, you really need community, especially online community, because you really won't find too many people that are super interested in this. I even have my own Discord group that I, you know, constantly invite artists to whatever level so we can all share resources with each other, share news with each other, share work with each other. When I, when I started making art, or net art. It was when Instagram was still chronological before Facebook acquired it, and they were actually really supporting a lot of artists. And I remember I got a feature on Instagram, which was really cool. And it was during definitely an advantageous moment. And I think that a lot of art is like that. You have to really see not only what you want your message to be, but what kinds of things the audience pick up on and relate with. Really, 
The internet in particular, Instagram, it's just this incredible way to disseminate information across geographical boundaries. If you're starting out as a young artist and you do an exhibition in any venue, in any city, the ease and the time span that people have to visit something and look at something, the audience is simply so limited. So whether it's a physical audience or it's an audience through the internet, as an artist, that's the most significant thing that you're attempting to do is to reach out to people. And another thing I find which is radically changed in relationship to Instagram, these people in the past, you wouldn't know how to find them or how to write to them or how to communicate with them. Now you could just text them. As simple as that. Yeah, I think that shoot was good. And all the tinfoil was so oh, funny. Yeah. I'm currently working on a project called How the Internet Changed My Life. I'm interviewing a bunch of people worldwide about the internet. And that guy was really nice too. I'm choosing yeah. people whose stories are impactful and I'm traveling to these locations and I'm taking their portraits. And within these portraits, I am portraying a CGI 3D figure called the internet. And the internet changes in appearance according to each person's story and how they view the actual internet. One of the people I have interviewed, she is a cam girl. My name is Lindsay Dye. I am an artist, a sex worker, and a cam girl. I always knew that I wanted to be an artist, but I also knew that I wanted to be a stripper. I never felt the confidence or the safety to actually go out and perform at a strip club. So... When I found camming, I was like, this is like stripping on the internet. And there's this barrier that acts as a safety net for me. I still feel like I have agency. Her story is specifically intriguing because she was also asked to cake sit, like actually sit on a cake on camera for someone. In my chat room and in real life in art galleries and venues, I'm hired to bake a cake myself and sit on it for an audience. My cakes are very colorful. They very much have my hand in them as an artist. I call them temporary sculptures. And like, is this an art performance or is this a porn performance? And she interacts with a lot of men online. So her 3D figure is very manly in appearance. It's like the physical embodiment of the people I'm interacting with. One of the other people I've interviewed, uh, she's a living doll. Hi guys, my name's Toshi and I like to wear crazy makeup. My name's Toshi Salvino and I'm an Instagram living doll. She, you know, dresses up and paints her whole face and makeup uh, every single day. Mayron Cloud White. It's my absolute favorite. I like to use the internet to like showcase that it's like you can live your life to be a crazy cartoon character <laughs> and like that's real. Actually, but if you use a primer first or she was very influenced by internet culture and and places such as Gaia Online which you dress up a little digital avatar doll and you post in forums. Just blend it with your fingers. For My work now is pretty much like um, what I was doing when I was young, using those online avatars to express who I really wanted to be. So I pretty much have become my own online avatar. So anyway, thank you for watching my video. I hope this helped you guys.
other people I've interviewed, I've gone to Berlin, I've gone to LA, and I've gone to Tokyo, and I am exploring how the internet is very significant for many people around the world and how it acts as this way to tie together different people and develop this culture that lives both worldwide and in this specific place. Contemporary art in and of itself reflects what's happening in society, socially, politically, economically, and technologically in terms of how people make art, selling it, seeing it, experiencing it. In terms of selling art, that's happening now more than ever, and that is the biggest change. And what I love about Instagram is that it wasn't created as another shitty art gallery or another way to sell art. It was created for other reasons, showing pictures of dogs or whatever. But the fact is that by default, it's become the go-to source for unknown artists to have their work not only seen, but bought and sold. But nevertheless, dealing art has never been easy. It's always been treacherous and hard for people. So people need to find new models. The art game is difficult to survive in. And unless you're producing a certain type of work that is normally painting, it's even harder. So this is the studio where I've been uh, editing. I'm Ed Fonieres, and I'm an artist. I make various types of art, ranging from the digital to the performative to the sculptural. I can't wait to have a London studio um, and be able to make mess and break things in London. A core to the art that I'm interested in has been always put ideas at the forefront. I think good artists create worlds. The works can be seen as just access points to that world. That's more important to me than creating something that perhaps can be easily monetized. Hello, and welcome to Vanilla Land, home to the Vanillias. Look. Here is one now. He is just waking up. We should be quiet. A uh, previous project of mine is called the Phanilias. The Phanilia are a most peculiar species, only recently discovered, and no one knows exactly how or where they come from. So the Phanilias are animated avatars. They've been engineered to be as cute as possible. It appears that Phanilia, like this little chap, are made out of vast amounts of data. Say hello to Dunop here, shall we? Dunop. How are you this morning? They're the embodiments of data, and that data could be anything. So it could be a company, it could be a currency, it could be a rainfall in the Amazon. The idea is to try to manifest these things that surround us but are very hard to read or very hard to understand. Using a very human interface of facial expressions and body language, the Phanilia allows us to understand and relate to things that once felt remote and distant. These characters, their moods and their health are fluctuating depending on how well whatever data they're plugged into is, is operating. So, Dunop here is connected to the British pound. So, for instance, as the currency goes up in value, it becomes happy and jubilant. And you see that in its face, the way it's moving. Perhaps it starts dancing. Perhaps fireworks start going off around it. As it goes up in value, he becomes happy. And as it decreases... And then if the currency is doing badly, then... Perhaps it starts to move more slowly at first and then it finds it harder to breathe and then it starts crying or might start vomiting and then it might just start moving very little. The reason why we chose the cute form, a face and a body, is because it's what we've evolved to understand. You know, you can say a lot in a smile. 
Goodbye, Dunop. Goodbye, Fenilius. We'll see you soon for another exciting day. The first iterations, we created a series on currencies. So looking at the pound, the dollar, the yen. It was just during the Brexit vote that we had it in the gallery. And the pound just became morbidly depressed. Actually, I got a message the other day after the recent votes in Parliament. It started crying. (laughs) (laughs) That's the uh, 3D printer at work. I think that there's two ways that producing the kind of work that I produce is difficult. On the one level, it doesn't look like art to some people. So someone might walk into a gallery and not immediately recognize it as art, like just on a very basic level. And then there's the economics that underpin this kind of production, which I'm quite interested in questioning. So I often have to rely on a small network of collectors. And what I wanted to do was create a larger network of support, having smaller kind of input from large amount of people I just think is a better model. Welcome back. Dollars, euros, yen, all part of the currency conversation today. But there is now a new new note that people are starting to talk about, the Bitcoin. This cryptocurrency craze is in full swing. The value of a Bitcoin... I was very touched by this work by Brad Trammell, who created a piece with a Bitcoin key uh, vacuum-packed into a sculpture. It had 10 Bitcoin in the sculpture, essentially. So the collector had to make a decision at one point whether or not they valued the integrity of the artwork or whether or not they wanted to cash out what would become $1 million during the Bitcoin sort of bubble. Boy, it feels great to be a Bitcoin millionaire. I'm loving it. And so I was kind of interested by this work in 2014, I suppose, when it came out. And then... The idea of this speculative kind of hedging that, that that goes on there, this question mark that the collector is faced with, is very interesting to me. You have to be a very wealthy person to value a piece of artwork over a flux of $1 million. Hello and welcome. This is a short video to introduce you to the certificate program, letting you know how it works and how you can get involved. To help fund the production of immaterial work like this, I've developed a thing called crypto certs. Crypto certs are a way that I can raise money for the studio. They are an artist print essentially that has a cryptocurrency contract embedded in it that allows me to give back a percentage of profits that the studio makes from both the sale of the crypto sets themselves and the works they fund. The traditional commercial model for art production and sales is centralized, revolving around a small network of artists, institutions, commercial galleries, collectors, and critics. So if you buy a crypto set and that help produce a sculpture, when that sells, a percentage of that sale will go into a cryptocurrency contract and then you can scratch off a panel on your print and that will allow you to get access to your percentage. As a result, you as a collector must make the choice between conserving the value of the certificate as an art object and damaging it to access the funds it contains. Paintings are really still where the money attaches itself to because it's something that currency can understand, it can feel, it can touch. They are a great financial device for storing value. And so the idea of the crypto certs is really to allow money to find itself to immaterial practices or to other artists in a way that, you know, suddenly these things are legible, they're objects, they're prints, that, you know, suddenly the collector understands what they are. The certificate program represents a new and significant shift in the relationship between artists, galleries, investors and collectors. 
Replacing an opaque and dated system with a diverse, networked approach that connects and rewards us all. The idea is to roll this out to other artists. I mean, I'm just sort of testing proof of concept at the moment for myself, but I like the idea of being able to give this technology to other people. I think that there's, there is a lot of room for the current art models to mutate and shift and change, and the crypto certs are an attempt to try to provoke that. But whether or not the crypto certs are actually a positive thing is, is a question mark also. They could be a terrible thing. You know, like the idea that artists are setting futures of themselves on some sort of open market is also a terrifying uh, dystopian proposition. Sure, let's roll the dice. <laughs> Artists are great for like taking new things that exist in any aspect of society and employing them to their own means in making art. Whether or not you're going to be making bank off of the increase of the cryptocurrency when you buy one of Ed's sculptures or prints fact is that he's taking this kind of ubiquitous Bitcoin concept that has been introduced over the past number of years and is often spoken about in this kind of buzzword that everyone is attached to. The most important part is that he's sort of intellectually and conceptually playing with these ideas and aestheticizing it into a physical artwork. What's funny about artists who've used the internet to make works is it's gone in shifts and flows. It was very tech-orientated and was very much made by people who understood the technology they were using. And so then you see a shift towards inhabiting the platforms that you use anyway. And that's, to me, like an obvious place where art can sort of operate. But then you're in a very sticky territory because on one level, you're doing something that's called art and it might be performative, it might be just purely aesthetic. And on another level, it's just flattened out to all the other content that exists on these platforms anyway. That's an interesting thing you have to sort of confront when you make this sort of work. I don't know what the future for internet art is. I think things are getting more complicated because of the algorithms that are being developed by Instagram and Facebook and the corporations that are really curating what's being shown to others. Instagram, when I first started really posting my work on there, you know, it's still in a chronological timeline. Now it's controlled specifically by an algorithm that changes quite frequently and is changing to benefit Instagram and Facebook and not to benefit the consumers. I think the emphasis on the digital art and the positive aspects of what that might be has lost some of its romanticism for sure over the last I don't know eight years or something and I think that's ultimately a good thing I think technology should always be a facilitator for other things I think the emphasis has moved much more to the social and the political I think it's still very important to point towards technology but it, it needs to be subservient to other things I mean, look, there are still great contemporary artists making abstract paintings, figurative paintings, figurative sculpture, film work, and even you can call it traditional video work. And at the same time, various people are more turned on or more inspired by what's happening in the sphere of technology. So it's just become a new implement in the arsenal of mediums as an artist to employ. I mean, for me, the most important part of the art that I make and the things that I see that the art has to sort of 
base itself or build upon what's been done before historically and then go further from there. And the technology with artificial intelligence and virtual reality, I mean, there will be a virtual reality art piece as great as Van Gogh's most fabulous painting. These things are fast upon us and it's only a matter of time. This episode of State of the Arts was brought to you by Selfridges broadcast channel, Hot Air. It was a Radio Wolfgang production and featured Nicole Ruggiero, Ed Fornielis, Kenny Schachter, Lindsay Dye and Toshi Salvino. The producers were Holly Aquilina and Ivor Manley. It was sound designed by Ivor Manley and the executive producer was Ellie DiMartino. To find out more about Selfridges State of the Arts campaign and upcoming events, visit selfridges.com forward slash state of the arts. And one quick message from Nicole. If there's anyone in the UK or anywhere else that's listening that wants to submit a story to me for how the internet changed my life, please feel free to send me an email. My email is nicole at nicolerogerio.com. If you're not sure what I need, you know, send me an email and I'll give you more information. That would be great. <laughs>